we've been going through a series uh, that leading up to, to Easter, and we'll, we'll actually conclude next week, called Jesus Walks. And today's message is Jesus Walks Again. Last week we left the story at the cruci- after the crucifixion of Jesus. He's crucified. He is taken off the cross by Joseph and Nicodemus, put inside of a tomb. That tomb is closed and sealed. And that's where we ended the story last week. So Friday, he is placed in the tomb. And then we're going to pick the story up here uh, come Sunday morning. And so our first passage will be in Mark. We're going to be all over the gospel. I'm in your Bible. I apologize already. You're going to be flipping all over the place. Start in Mark 16, verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. If you remember, if you are here last week, we ended the story with Joseph and Nicodemus putting spices on the body of Jesus as well. Now, burial customs in the first century Jewish world are much different than ours. We do embalming, and we bury someone, and we put them in a coffin. What happened in the first century in the Jewish world was they didn't do any embalming. They put you inside of a tomb, if you were wealthy enough to be in a tomb, and they would let you sit in that tomb until all your flesh was gone, and they would collect your bones, and they would put them in a or a bone box. It looks like this. I don't know if you can see it very well. That's one that they found from the first century era. And they would carve your name and a stone on it, and then they would use that tomb again for other family members, and it became the family tomb. Tombs were extraordinarily expensive uh, to make, so only, only the wealthy had. And so that's what they're preparing Jesus for. They put the spices up because dead people don't smell all that great. And so the spices was cover the scent and the odor. I know it's kind of gross, but that's just the way. And so that's what they're preparing Jesus for. It's for decay. That's what the spices are for. And so as he decays, it, the spice will make, make it smell a little better. The problem, not the problem, the good thing is Jesus isn't going to get there. That decay isn't going to come. So we picked the story up in Matthew chapter 28, verse 2 through 4. Matthew says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Anytime the angels appear to people in the scriptures, uh, people get a little freaked out which is natural. If an angel appears to you, you're probably a little scared too. And so we see at the birth of Jesus, right? The angels appear to the shepherds like, what is going on here? These people, this isn't right. And the same thing here. These poor guards are guarding the tomb of Jesus to make sure nothing happens. And the angels appear. And the scripture tells us that they become like dead men. I'm assuming it's some type of a seizure or they just pass out, right? They just hit the ground and they're out like a light. I mean, you would probably be a little bit the same. You'd probably be a little fearful as well. The story continues in Gospel. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So the women who had been faithful, who had been at the foot of the cross for Jesus, come back to prepare Jesus' body with these spices. When they get to his tomb, the stone has been rolled away. They go inside the tomb, and the body is gone. Not exactly what they expected. Now, I actually have a picture here of a, it's hard to see, but this is a, a tomb that dates back to the first century in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you can see the kind of the trough that's down here. That's where the stone would have been. Now, this had, the, the wall had been broken over the years and they had to fix it. So the opening was, was probably a little even smaller than this originally. But there's a trough right here. And that's because this tomb closed just like the tomb of Jesus. 
closed with a, with a large stone, probably weighing about a, t about a ton, about 2,000 pounds. And there'd be a little, little indent down here so that when the stone got right where it was supposed to be, it would, it would kind of fall in there. Right, just a little, a little indent there in the, in the trough. And I actually think I have, yeah, I have a picture. Hard to see. This is another tomb that's similar that you would go down into. And so you see the entryways here. And here, I don't know if you can see the stone here, but that's the stone that would be rolled across this entryway to, to, to make sure that nobody went in there inside the tomb and, and messed with any of the body of the person that's in there. And so those are both historical examples might have looked like none of those what the tomb might have looked. can't just be it's heavy we're continuing the story in the gospel of Luke so while they were wondering about this suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground but the men said to them why do you look for the living among the dead. He is not here, and then some of the greatest words ever spoken in all the world follow that. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. These poor women come to the tomb expecting to prepare Jesus' body. They get there, his body is gone. Sure, what's going on? What's happening? An angel, the angels speak to them, and the women are also scared. Not as scared as the men, if you notice, right? The guards fainted. The women are able to remain consciousness. I'm just saying. I'm just pointing out the details, right? I'm not making a, nothing. I'm just saying that the dudes, the big, strong soldier dudes, passed out when the angels got there. The girls are okay. Only point I'm trying to make. You, you can figure out what you want to make of that. I'm just pointing the details out, right? It's in the Bible. I'm telling you. And those angels said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Now, Jesus had been telling them this time and time again, but people tell you that. You, it's, kind of hard, it's kind of hard to believe, right? And so the disciples had heard it, and they had heard it, and they would heard it, but they just had a hard time computing it, right? I mean, it doesn't happen very often, dead people coming back to life. If, if it did, funerals would be a whole other thing, right? We, we probably wouldn't go to them. It would be a little different, but... They had a hard time understanding that this would be true, even though he told them time and time and time again. But it's true. It says, remember Jesus' words. He told you this would happen. He told you he would be handed over, he'd be crucified, and that he'd come back to life. Indeed, come back to life. The women are excited to share this news, and so they're going to share it. In Luke 24, it says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Another lesson, right, guys? Specifically, when your wife tells you something, you better listen. Um, <laughs> saying happy wife, happy life is, is no joke. The disciples are hidden in, in a room they're scared. Big, strong, tough guys. And the women go to the tomb. They discover the tomb's empty. The angel appears to them and, and says, hey, he's not here. He's risen. So the, the women come back to the big, strong men who are hiding and say, he's not there. He's risen. And the disciples are like, 
What have you guys been drinking? I mean, that's the response. Are you sure? Are you sure? They don't believe them. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us that they, their words sounded to them like nonsense. Now, they probably were a little excited, the ladies were. So they might, they, might, they might be a little bit like me and talking a little fast. So the disciples might be, just didn't get it, but they're not, it's not computing. They're not understanding, right? They're not, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. So the disciples, some of the disciples, these apostles, are going to go see for themselves. This happens in John chapter 20, 3 through 7. So, so Peter and the other disciple, this is John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So what we have is we have a race between John and Peter. John's faster, apparently. That's what he tells us. He's bragging in, uh, in his gospel. says he beats, he outruns Peter there. He looks in the tomb. Sees that Jesus' body isn't there, and that's enough. Not Peter, right? We know Peter. Peter's 100%. He's all or nothing, so he runs straight in that thing, full bore. Sees the same thing John sees. The body's gone. Now, the cloth that covered Jesus is there still. There's a, they put a separate cloth around his face, and then a whole, whole long cloth that would have wrapped both sides of his body, and then they would have wrapped that up. And, and that, that is there, but his body's gone, which is a strange thing. If someone were to steal the body, they weren't going to take the time, right, to to undo all that and then take the body. They would just grab the body and, and ran. John tells us that that's, that detail is actually kind of important. It says, finally, the other disciple, talking about himself, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the disciples went back where they were staying. So John goes in, sees those cloths lying there, and thinks, well, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And he's remembering the words of Jesus, and so he therefore, then, he believes. He goes, okay, Jesus meant what he said. He's come back to life. And they go home. Right? I mean, what, what are you supposed to do? You don't know where Jesus is, but you don't know what's going on, and so they just they head back to where they were. But not some of the women, and I want you to, this is important, I want you to see this in the Gospel of John. So Mary, we believe Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus did not realize that it was Jesus. Everybody else has gone home. And Mary, for whatever reason, is there still. And she's just mourning the fact that even his death, after being so humiliated by, the, by crucifixion, that he hasn't been able to rest easy now. Right? She believes someone's taken the body and done something with it. And remember, people who were crucified weren't normally buried. And so they, most likely the disciples are believing that someone said, hey, no, 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 he, this guy was crucified. He can't be buried. Came and snatched the body and have just taken it somewhere. And she's weeping and mourning the fact that her Lord, that this Jesus' body would, would go through all this. The thing she doesn't know is that Jesus is there with her. He's alive. And so she looks over and sees a man. It's Jesus, but she doesn't, doesn't realize it's Jesus. And this is the interaction that happens. He asked her, talking about Jesus, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. There's a lot of details in this little section that are really, really, I think, cool and important. One, Mary, we don't know how big Mary is. We're guessing, her, she's, guessing she's a little smaller than Jesus, is so passionate and wants so badly to follow after this Jesus that she's, she believes that she can go carry his dead body, right? And she believes Jesus is the gardener. She says, hey, do you know where, where someone, someone put him? Because I'll go get him myself, and I'll bring him back here and make sure he gets a proper burial. That she can lift Jesus' dead body to none. It doesn't matter to her. She's going to try anyways. Those of you who are parents know that your kids, when they're out, take them into the bedroom, it's difficult, right? When they're just passed out and their arms are everywhere. How is Mary going to carry Jesus' dead body? It's not going to happen. But impossible doesn't mean anything to her at this point. She'll do whatever she has to do to get Jesus back into that tomb. The good thing is she doesn't have to. And as she talks to Jesus, not knowing it's him, he utters her name in verse 16. He simply says to her, Mary. And there's something about the way he says her name, probably because she's heard him say it before, that she automatically recognizes who it is. Right? It's like a light switch flips. And all of a sudden she goes, wait a second. That's not the gardener. That's Jesus. And she cries out to him, teacher, rabbi. And the words of Jesus next to her are interesting. They seem kind of cold at first, but I just listen to him. 17 and 18. Said, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. He told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus commissions her to go and tell the disciples, those guys that were there earlier who ran back home because they weren't sure what to do, that Jesus is in fact risen. And she is the first witness to the resurrection. God can choose anyone to appear to first, and he chooses her. Now remember, 2,000 years ago, ladies, you didn't have the freedoms that you enjoy today. 2,000 years ago, your testimony was not good in court. You weren't a witness, even if you saw it. Couldn't own property. You couldn't initiate a divorce. There's all kinds of things that you couldn't do. And the God who creates things, who speaks things into existence, chooses her to be the first witness of the risen king. He can choose anyone. And who does he pick? He picks Mary. A faithful follower. She's there and everybody else has gone. Because she has it here. It isn't just here. It's here. And she has a fire that burns inside her. And passion. For this Jesus. Ladies, if you have ever been told that you are a second class citizen in the kingdom, it's a lie. And the resurrection is proof of it. The first person to share the good news that the tomb is empty. Who? Woman. And who does she share that news 
with. Jesus tells her, look at the details. Jesus tells her to go to some people and do something. Who are those people? Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He sends a woman to go tell those hiding men that he's come back to life. And the church has always and probably will always be built on the back of strong, godly women. Since the resurrection, probably before on. You ladies are the glue that holds this family together. Just like you are for your family. You're the glue. You're it. You're the foundation. You're the strength when the storm comes. It's you. It's always been you. And will probably always be you. So don't let anybody convince you that you're second class. Remember, God, he saved the best for last. When he created men and women, all the way back in that book of Genesis, you remember how that order goes, right? He creates Adam. He looks at Adam and goes, you're a knucklehead. You're going to die within 15 days. I've got to create Eve, right? I mean, that's just the truth. Go on YouTube, if you don't believe me, and watch video compilations of people doing stupid things. Always men. Every one of them. <laughs> it is, every time. Some dude who's 60 years old on the motorcycle, like, dude, what are you doing? Right? He's jumping. Like, if it weren't for ladies, we'd all be dead by now. We'd a long time ago. And God saw it in the beginning, right? He said, it creates Adam and goes, this guy's going to need a helper. So I'm going to keep him alive. I'm going to make her Eve. It's always been that way. Trying to beat up on you guys at all? I'm not doing that. You're, you're important too. We all have been created in the image of God. But for too long, in many institutions, including the church, women haven't felt important. The resurrection tells that you're event the world has ever known. And Mary is the first one to share that. Now, I want to talk about just the idea of the resurrection real fast and we'll be done. Remember, I told you that Friday, Jesus is put in the tomb. He's placed there. He's buried, right? Expecting to decay. They bring all the spices. They put on his body. My suggestion to you is that when you think of the resurrection and you think of Jesus' burial, don't think of it as a burial. Think of it as a planting. Lots of us are about to do that. If you have already have, if you're really ambitious, you're about to plant that garden, and you're going to take a bunch of seeds, and what are you going to do with those seeds? Put them in the ground. I chose a potato. So. You're going to bury that seed. You're going to put it in the ground, expecting that seed to do what? To not stay that way, to not stay dead, to not stay buried, but to come back to life. And what Jesus did in the tomb is he was planted there by Joseph and Nicodemus only to come back to life. And it's important for us to remember that the resurrection, for it to be true today, has to be true in our lives. And remember, God takes dead things and brings them back to life. And the scripture tells us that you and I, when we're separate from God, are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And the only way we come back to life is when we find this Jesus. But that is where life is found. And so God's doing this with us. 
We were dead. And you know what he's doing? Is he's constantly renewing us day by day. He is changing, he's molding us, and he's transforming us every single day so that we turn into a beautiful plant. Something a little more, probably prettier than a potato, right? I mean, maybe a flower or something that looks nice. That's what he's doing every day. And so you and I, when we trust hearts and our minds and our souls, and we say, God, change me and mold me. You're the potter. I'm the clay. You transform me and make me new. You turn me into the person that you want me to be so I can witness to your resurrection. We do that in this. Participating in that resurrection. Because Jesus, this Bible tells us, is the firstborn that we are all to follow. And that gives us hope here now on earth and also gives us hope in heaven. That death is not the end. Because Jesus defeated it once and for all. For all of us. So as you leave here, and you can celebrate the resurrection and Easter, God takes dead things and brings them back to life. That's his job. That's what he does. That's what he's known for. It's his calling card. And he does the same for us. All those areas where I fall short, where I mess up, God says, I got this. I got this. I can do anything. And the resurrection is that God can do anything with anyone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to worship you here today. Father, we're grateful that the tomb is empty, that it's still empty. And Father, we ask that you would mold us, that you'd shape us, that you'd make us new every day so we can be witnesses to your resurrection everywhere we go. Not just today on Easter, but every day. Knowing that we will fall short, that we'll stumble, that but that you forgive. And that your ultimate stance towards us is that of love. That you love us. Despite, our, despite our failures, despite all the things that we can get wrong sometimes, you love us still. That nothing can separate us from your love. Father, we give you our hearts today and every day. Would you mold us and transform us and make us new? Father, we're thankful for everything you do for us. We pray all this in the powerful and human name of your son Jesus and all God's people say,